papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smugger. The Media Project with hopes for some humor and some goodwill this week as we bring you the news of the news. I'm Rex Smith, former editor of the Times Union, here from uh, the Upstate American, if you wish to subscribe. <laughs> A pitch. Here is Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette, now at the New York Press Association. Ira Fussfeld, the retired publisher of the Kingston Daily Freeman and affiliated publications. And of course, Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. We're glad to have you all. Alan, I want to start with an opinion from you on something that's halfway across the country, but it's relevant to something we were talking about last week. Remember last week when we were talking about a governor whose press secretary said we're not going to recognize this reporter who worked for, I guess you'd call it advocacy journalism, somebody who had a point of view. And um, here we have an issue in Chicago where Mayor Lori Lightfoot, an African-American mayor, has said she will only do interviews, sit-down interviews, marking her two years as mayor, with reporters of color. And of course, that excludes most of the press corps in Chicago City Hall. And this is a point that Mayor Lightfoot wants to make. So any opinion on whether we feel this is okay or not for a politician? Well, I don't know if you have your Alan doll, but if you have him, you just turn him on and you say any question and he'll answer it. I mean, that's part of the deal. Here's Alan's opinion. So, yeah. so Alan, Alan has an opinion, of course. If you say, I'm only going to talk to people of color, it means you're not going to talk to white people. And if you turn that or Asian people, and if you turn that around, obviously, and somebody said, I'm never going to talk to anybody who is of color, there would be hell to pay. Now, what's really going on here is that, like all leaders, uh, she thinks that she's been put upon by the press. She doesn't like the press. Hey, Cuomo doesn't like it. Papa Cuomo had his moments when he didn't like it. Ira certainly, as the editor of the Kingston newspaper and publisher, heard from politicians who always thought that they were getting screwed by the press. And there's very little they can do about it. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to turn around and you're going to say, stop being mean to me, please. You can't do it. And so there's these moments of frustration when you do something real stupid, like saying, I'm not going to talk to anybody except reporters of color. Well, maybe she has a point. And you've said it, Rex, if you hire an African-American reporter to cover the news, they may have access in a way that other people don't have. She may be making a point. Nevertheless, it does sound like just another frustrated politician to me. Iris, your name was invoked with the mayor's decision. The mayor will tell you, as she's told those who have asked, that the reason she's doing this is she's trying to highlight the AP reports, the lack of diversity in the newsrooms. And, and I suspect that that's likely. The older media, which has had people on board for years and years and years, 
uh, more likely the senior most people are white people. I don't think anybody would disagree that there is a lack of diversity in newsrooms, including the newsrooms themselves. But it's easier it's easier spoken about than fixed. And uh, and uh, the overriding issue specifically here is people who are going to be interviewed by the press don't get to pick who's going to be interviewing them. So she's making a decision that she's on the side of the gods by pointing out the lack of diversity in the newsrooms. And I, I would suggest she's only hurting herself in the long run because she's cutting down the exposure that she would be getting in her city that might spell favorably for her when it's time for her to run for re-election. But Ira, the reason she's doing it is because she's ticked off. I would use a stronger word, but I can't. She's ticked off that what she's getting is not favorable. It's unfavorable. And that's why she's so angry. Well, but she's saying me, it's protesting a lack of diversity. But, Judy, I mean, I'm a former political press secretary. I spent four years as a flat for an obscure Midwestern congressman. Don't I have a right to say, you know, we're going to give an interview. Do we have to take all comers? Uh, why doesn't a politician have the right to say this is a person I'm going to talk to and this is a person I'm not? Yeah, let's be frank. I mean, politicians do this all the time, even though editors always push back and say, you don't have the right to decide who covers you and who doesn't. And when it comes to a high-profile interview, or a get, as we like to call them, politicians do do this. It doesn't make it right. I appreciate the point that Lori Lightfoot is ostensibly trying to make, but as a reality, Editors deal with this all the time. And, you know, in this case, who wants a two years of retrospective anyway? I mean, it's not anything I'd be interested in. I'd be more interested in having the reporter do some real work rather than do kind of a puff piece, sit down interview. In the end, it's all about the fact that politicians don't like to be critiqued. None of us do. Nevertheless, that's the nature of the game right now. And what I'm seeing here is just complete frustration on her part. Well, they're in the wrong business well, then. I mean, if, they can, if they're going to go into this expecting that every day they'll pick up the paper and see a favorable story, they're sadly mistaken. So, you know, if you know what you're signing up for, you know that this is part of the job. And those who resort to a tactic like this don't impress me. The mayor is trying to, again, what she says she's trying to do is to address the problem that journalism does not have a great diversity of voices. But is that her responsibility to do? Is it a politician's job to be a watchdog for journalism? I'd say no. She's entitled to do that with the newspaper business, the radio business, or any other business in her city. But it doesn't mean she should be boycotting those that are not meeting her standards. So here's the question, though. What do you do if you're a politician? So let's have a little bit of sympathy here for our hardworking public officials. What do you do if you are covered by media outlets that do have a bias, that do have a point of view, therefore? Case in point, let's look at President Biden. The early parts of his administration, there has now been an assessment by Pew Research of the ideological profile of the audiences. I heard Alan say Pew. I knew that was going to come. <laughs> so they looked at the ideological profile of the audiences of media outlets, and they found that media outlets that have a right-leaning audience focused so much differently on different issues than those that had left-leaning audiences or mixed audiences. Case in point is immigration. 
the right-leaning audience outlets had two and a half times the coverage of immigration. It was the leading topic they covered, that is the so-called crisis at the border, two and a half times more than those with left-leaning audiences. There was more coverage of immigration than there was of the economy at a time when, of course, that was what Biden was focusing on, of health care. That would be the pandemic. There was more coverage of the border than there was of that. So if you're a politician, what do you do when you know that even the content, even the topics that are covered is reflective of a bias on the part of a media outlet? How do you deal with that? And you know it's very frustrating, and here's why. Obviously, if it's covered, it becomes something that that has a great deal to do with the implementation of policy. So if Trump is the president and he's harping about a border wall and people coming over the border and how terrible that is, then you see all of the administration of government paying attention to that, and public opinion is swayed by that. Then Biden comes in and you hear very little about it, almost as if everything's okay now. So coverage can drive public policy without question. Alan makes a really good point, but I've always wondered who's driving the bus. Is it the audience Mm. dictating what gets covered, or is it the news organization? In Fox's case, or in right-wing media's case, I often think that that's what gets them ratings, immigration issues, that people are worried about that, or right-wing audiences are worried about that, and that's one of the reasons that they dwell on it so much. It's a winner. Like, you know, at the local level, you know, weather's a winner, or Stories about animals are winners, or even locally or recently, stories about marijuana is a big winner. One of the other things about the Pew research that I thought was really interesting, among all adults, 43% said that there was too little focus on immigration. So I think among the broad American public, there is that concern about immigration. Clearly, 45% of right-leaning people want to hear about immigration, and only 21% of left-leaning people want to. So there's a clear divide there. But in general, I think Immigration is an issue that the public consciousness is really high on. Yeah, I mean, let's look at it from what we do in the newsroom every day of the week. The editors sit down, they look at the stories that they have on their docket, or they they talk about what stories they might like to be focusing on, and they decide, you know, this is a story that we think is important because our readers think it's important, so we're going to do a lot of coverage on it. And in the case of immigration, it's certainly It's certainly been a a hot-button topic, particularly for right-wing media, but uh, I think everybody in the country has an interest in immigration for whatever reason. So uh, my point is the fact that uh, a media outlet has decided to provide more coverage on one specific subject, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Now, what I would say is a bad thing if the coverage is is slanted or biased or with a point of view, and that's that's when you get into some of the more of the motivation of, for example, the right wing media uh, like Fox. It is a great chicken and egg issue that uh, Judy was making the point of this. Is the audience attention the driver of coverage or is coverage the driver of the audience attention? On the case of Fox News, for example, of course, there was early on, especially in the Biden administration, so much attention to this crisis at the border. But can you say that it was good coverage if that if there's more coverage of that than there was of the faltering economy early in this year or of the coronavirus and healthcare? The skewed coverage focusing on yes, it's it's an issue. Immigration has always been an issue in America for centuries. But you have to say that there was a bias 
reflected in the story choice, I think. And you're inflaming your audience rather than serving it, uh, inflaming more than informing. If you are giving them a sense of coverage that is out of proportion to the real significance of the story itself, that can't be seen as as really good journalism. As, as but there's, leading, a bias in, uh, there's a bias in every decision yep. we make every day. That, yes. that feeds into Alan. I mean, I hate to tee it up for Alan because he's been saying this for years, but the fact of the matter is a decision that you make, such as should we cover immigration or should we cover the economy, it's a subjective mm-hmm. opinion based on a set of facts, based on experience, based on what you think your listeners or readers would be interested in hearing about. But those are just typical decisions. But as you point out, once you've decided you're going to cover these issues, one would like to think that they're going to be covered fairly. And at that point, you have plenty of examples to the contrary. Well, you know, you guys, it always sounds like you think that the news people make these decisions. I think to a large degree, they don't. I think what happens is that Donald Trump gets elected president of the United States and he decides these are his agenda items. And like like sightless, like sightless and obedient, you know, trolls, you guys do. You guys do. You guys, you guys do. You guys. Yeah. Well, that's right. You know, this is a bunch of nonsense. In my opinion, you're all wrong. All of you, not me. But basically what you're saying is, you know, out of this universe, the decisions are made by the news media. No, they're made by Donald Trump. He says, give me my damn wall and I'm going to build it. And then like yapping dogs, you all cover the wall. Biden gets elected. We're not hearing a thing about the wall. What happened to your discretion and your choices then? Yeah, I'm not sure the wall is the best example, but if you want to use it, there was a lot less coverage of the wall in certain media than there was in other media. It was the decision of the local editors and producers as to what they were going to cover and how much of it they were going to cover. And I would argue that Trump got far less coverage, and deservedly so, of the wall in the moderate or the liberal press. Yeah, I think there's great discretion exercised by producers and news directors and editors who wouldn't go along with Trump's efforts. Of course, when he goes down and stands at the wall and when he diverts money from the Pentagon from defense to the wall, that's newsworthy. You've got to cover that. He was the president of the United States, after all. You have to cover what he does. But I think there was a great effort to not give in to that kind of manipulation of the media. And when you lump it in and say, well, you guys did all this, and of course, you run a news organization as well, Alan, so I appreciate that. Not get personal. uh, We don't have to get personal. I don't get personal personal about your ex-newspaper. I never have. I don't believe in doing that. So every time you get into trouble, Rich, you come around and you start attacking me or the organization that I run. That's not right. No, no, you just said you guys do this, you guys do this. I'm just making the point you do too. You have a news organization, and I don't think that you're not covering issues that are important, are you? Are you intentionally distorting news coverage? Uh, I don't think so. In other words, do I beat my wife? Come on, Rex, you know better than that. I have almost nothing to do with the news coverage that goes on around here. I just want to make that clear. Nevertheless, I do think that these choices are far less to the feet and the mouths and the hands of the people who are running the news organizations. I think you guys blindly and slavishly follow the lead of the people in charge of the country at this stage. So we're going to be listening, Alan, to what you talk about in your commentaries when you're on the air and make sure that you're talking. Oh, so that's it. You differentiate the content that you're responsible for is 
not at all influenced by what's going on around us. It's purely driven by what's good for the community. Okay. That is so weak of you. Yes, I'm sorry. I've had enough of Rex. What were you going to say, Judy? (laughs) You know, I was going to say sometimes you have to ask whether the question being asked by producers and editors in the newsroom is not whether or not this is a story that's important that we need to do or whether there's an element in that discussion about, well, this story will get a lot of clicks. I don't think that Trump drove the news media coverage during his tenure. I think it was the fact that people gravitated to those stories. I think it was his audience that was driving the decisions, not so much the man himself. He was a scurrilous idiot. We all know it. We all know what he was trying to do. His whole approach to life is to divide and conquer. We know that, and as differentiated with the present president. And so when he chose something like walls or he chose something like immigration or whatever else, the news media was sort of obliged to go along. But here's the question. Aren't the media outlets in failing to cover as aggressively immigration as an issue in the Biden administration. The Biden administration is trying to downplay that issue now, trying to get us not to pay attention to what's going on in the border. I think there's been a significant effort on those national outlets to cover the ongoing problem in a responsible way. That's what the news media do. I don't think lumping it in and making it all sound like it's all just being manipulated, Alan, is really fair in looking at the way that producers and reporters and editors really go out of their way to try to do a good job and a fair, reasonable job of covering these issues. And I think a lot of the media even did that during the Trump administration. But hallelujah, I'm seeing even CNN and MSNBC and and maybe even Fox, although I don't – I'm not sure about this, do some in-depth analysis of what's going on at the border or proposed immigration policies. This is a really complex issue. And during the Trump years, there was so much, you know, drum beating that the nuances of immigration reform, the nuances of what was happening in terms of immigration got lost. But thankfully now, I think there's a far more rational level of coverage that is reaching broadcast. I mean, I think it was always there to some extent if you look for it. But Trump's got a big mouth, and his coverage dominated almost everything. (laughs) That's certainly true. You know, one of the topics, though, that is of interest is the way that these, especially the right-left divide between Fox and MSNBC, plays out through its personalities. An interesting piece out of Columbia Journalism Review this week takes a look at a harangue, it is called, by Joanne Reed, the MSNBC anchor, against Tucker Carlson of Fox who kind of started it off by using, he has a nickname for her, Harvard-educated race lady, he calls her. So she now has decided that she calls him Tuckums. So they're going back and forth, and this must be great fun to their favored audiences, the people who follow them. But, boy, it's diverting attention from the issues, which you would hope a news channel would be paying attention to, wouldn't you? What's going on there? Well, this is a piece that I would recommend people read. I don't know how they can find it, but... It capsulized what I think is the biggest problem going right now because of the disproportionate influence of the cable news channel. But it specifically points out this harangue that Joy Reid of uh, MSNBC did against Tucker Carlson. Rather than try to advance their intellectual differences in a sober way. And instead, she pulled the full Trump in terms of name-calling and et cetera. And the remarks by the columnist was, just leave the rage aside and focus instead on broadcasting information 
information that would be beneficial for their viewers to know. That's really the heart of it. You know, just tell us what's going on. You don't have to call people names. It lowers the level of discourse and it impacts society as a whole. You know, la-di-da, let me just say, you know, you guys are always talking about intellectual content and this and that. The producer of this show, David Gustina, and I knew a woman real well who begged to be on television with me one night, and she came on, and she had about 11 books that she put down on the desk in front of her, and in every one there were little pieces of paper indicating where she wanted to make a quote. Well, they put her on, and she was done in, what, a minute and a half or two minutes. And when she got off, she was almost crying, saying, they didn't let me quote my sources. Come on. This is so easy to understand. This is television. This is eyeballs on the tube. And if Joy Reid or anybody else helps them get that, that's what they want. They don't want a bunch of pablum, that's for sure. To the contrary, that's you're absolutely correct. That's the motivation, but that's the problem. And we are not we in general are not contributing the right way to society. We're not fulfilling our obligation when we devolve into name calling. But is it for ratings? Sure, it's for ratings. Who who would argue? If they don't get ratings, they're not going to be in business tomorrow. She's taking a page out of the Tucker Carlson playbook. That interchange went wild on social media. It got a ton of attention. It got her attention that she wouldn't have gotten otherwise, and that's why it's a shame. But you're seeing that more and more on left-leaning cable channels, that they're trying to do the same thing that Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, all those guys, and Donald Trump do. They're trying to make a moment, a social media moment. I feel like I'm in seventh grade many times when I'm watching the news nowadays. And they're fighting with each other, right? In other words, MSNBC and CNN are in their own death battle. Who can be more progressive now? I remember when CNN was a lot more centered, and I'm not complaining about it. I like it. But it was a lot more centered than it used to be. Now the two cable channels want to be known as the anti-Trumpian progressives and the hell with anything else. By the way, there's an issue that is going to affect CNN considerably that we're, we haven't talked about here, and that is this right. huge merger that is coming. AT&T is spinning off Warner Media which owns CNN as well as a whole lot of other things. And that is Warner Media is uniting with Discovery, which is going to form this gigantic media entity. And it could have, you know, since we talk primarily about the news media here, not the streaming services for entertainment and the like, but the, the question is, while it could give them more shows to watch, it could really benefit CNN by giving them more revenue that will enable CNN to sort of push itself. And it will probably also keep the current CNN president in place, who is the former NBC News president as well. That is Jeff Zucker. So that's just an interesting development that is huge in the media world, a $43 billion deal that's going to affect how people get TV, which is, of course, the principal source of information for most people. No, it'll benefit CNN if the entertainment and the business side of this merger leaves the news side alone. The fact that Zucker appears to be headed to stay on is, in fact, a good sign. And I think who it will not benefit ultimately is the viewing public because it's going to cost them money as these programs start getting bundled and streamed. And you're going to have to start paying for things that you're currently not paying for. That's where I would watch this thing going. And yet the politics of money, the idea that when you charge for something and it goes up, 
you lose viewers, you lose readers, right? I mean, my newspaper costs over $300 now. That is not really sustainable any more than raising cable rates because when that happens, people stop watching, you know, some of the major cable outlets and providers. And that's absolutely happening at the same time. So the question of free versus how much it's costing us becomes extremely relevant when we're making decisions. You know, we talk a lot in this program about the financial situation that newspapers are in, but look what's going on in the cable and satellite TV world where more people are cutting their services and buying uh, a la carte the streaming services. So there's a big upheaval coming, and we're in the middle of it, right, with those outlets. And that's broadcast. That's not newspapers. One of the great things about this deal for people who love streaming is that it has the potential to be a far more diverse streaming package than you get now. Because if you rely on streaming services, now no one streaming service gives you everything you really need. And if they put together a package with all these programs, it could very well be a one-stop shop when it comes to streaming. But the money to support the journalism has to come from somewhere. It's got to come from either advertising or subscription or from donations, and donations usually have strings attached. And the difficulty that we're confronting is that people are finding it a lot more – I mean, fundamentally, the broad difficulty we're confronting is that people find it a lot more interesting to just take whatever comes to them for free and believe that, which could well be just garbage on social media, and that substitutes – for the genuine reporting that gives people the information they need to make decisions as citizens. That's really the fundamental crisis that I think we're all confronting in journalism. Where's the money coming from? I think on that depressing news, unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, and we'll have to This ought to be back. an hour. <laughs> no. <laughs> there he goes again. Alan Shartok, there he is. Ira Fussfeld, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith with gratitude to our producer, David Gustina, for giving us so many interesting topics that he thinks we ought to talk about each week. And to you folks, our listeners, for continuing to tune in to The Media Project. Thanks. She chopped him into fragments. She stuffed him in a trunk. She shipped it all back yonder to her uncle in Podunk. Now newspaper men meet such interesting people. It must have startled poor old Sadie's unk. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who... The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Got a people's fight to wage. Ting-a-ling-a-ling newspaper guild. Got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the floor. Now, publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny, Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go. 
To working folks, for readers, and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising. Get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. 